thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. Angela can speak more into that um, about what they're going to do this week. But, um, man, we're just so thankful. This is our first female preacher at Luminous Church. Can we give it up? Can I hear the ladies? Yes. Yes. This uh, Angela is amazing. Um, she is so faithful, and I'm just so thankful that she's going to come share her heart with us. And so can we please welcome Angela as she comes up, as she's up. Come on. Come on. I took, I took my shoes off because Ben said I was too tall next to him with my heels on. So I took my shoes off. Good thing I'm standing on carpet. Um, for those of you I have not met, I tried to greet everybody as you were coming in. My name is Angela, and I um, am just, Ben asked me to come and share my testimony and then just kind of share what God has done in my life over the last couple years. Um, but I just want to honor Ben and Brandy and the entire Luminous family and say thank you for allowing us to come. Thank you for opening your hearts and your church and your community and saying, please come, and just your hearts deserve. So thank you to all of the Luminous team. Can we just give them a round of applause? Because they've done a phenomenal job of ushering in people into their city. So thank you. So let's pray before we start. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would come and illuminate the grace and mercy and truth of your good news today. As I share of your righteous acts and of your deeds of salvation, would you, Holy Spirit, remind their hearts of your righteousness and yours alone? Would your works, Lord, be commended generationally as I share the glad news of deliverance in this amazing congregation? Would you, Holy Spirit, reveal the concealed, undiscovered places of our hearts? Would you bear witness to your faithfulness, your salvation, and your steadfast love? Come do whatever you want to, Holy Spirit. We welcome you and we give you permission to reveal your love. May all of your truths plant on fertile soil in every heart and grow and multiply in your timing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hi. It's weird, like, preaching up. Usually people preach down. Um, so I'm Angela, and I'm just going to share my story. And just to let you know, I'm probably one of the only Yankees in the room. I'm, I hail from right outside of Boston, Massachusetts, in a town called Framingham. And I grew up, uh, my parents wanted me to grow up loving diversity. So I grew up in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. And, yeah, fluent in Spanish. Um, and the amazing thing about that was I really thought I was Latina until I was 12. <laughs> Not joking. I learned how to cook all the food, and I looked just like them until I colored my hair a little bit lighter, and I think my green eyes might have given me away a little bit. But I grew up really loving other cultures and really not liking mine. But that's a different story. Um, but my parents wanted me to appreciate diversity, and with that, I grew up in a community um, not in poverty but just kind of in a low-income area, and I grew up around other families, not mine. And my dad, my parents, uh, we grew up Roman Catholic, so I was really good at, like, going to church on Sunday and just hanging out and following all the rules. And then on, like, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I would do whatever I want. And then I'd come Sunday, and I'd be that good little girl. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'd wrestle with the same things. But because I was a performer and, like, wanted to do amazing things, like, I would, when I would go into confession with a priest, I would, like, keep a secret list, and I would, like, check off the one that I already said so that when I went in the next time, it looked like I was making progress, and I would just repent for something else. Um, with all of that being said, I am the oldest of three, and I don't have any pictures of my family because they don't like us taking family pictures, so we, I don't have any of our whole family together. 
Uh, but when I was around nine years old, my dad walked out on my mom, and they never got divorced, because when you're Catholic, you don't really get divorced, you just separate. So my dad went to Nashville, and my mom stayed with us, me, my brother, and my sister. My mom was pregnant with my sister, so my sister and I are 10 years apart. And right around after my dad left, I'm just going to be really transparent, so just be ready, because there's a lot of heavy stuff coming. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I was molested and continuously abused by people in my family, men that would come in and try to help my mom and yet hurt everyone in my family. And that really left me in a place of shame, a place of guilt, a place of condemnation. I felt like I was dirty. I felt like I had done something wrong. And I kept wondering, like, why do I keep attracting this? Like, what is it about me that people just want to keep abusing over and over and over? Um, and that led me to... and. I say this kindly, that led me to people who were extremely abusive. One minute they would be super kind and friendly, and then the next minute I'd go home with a black eye. And my mom wouldn't say anything, and my dad wasn't there. And so I was searching for love in all of the wrong places. But I felt like the only way I could get love back was through swimming or through school, because my dad was a swimmer and taught me how to swim. It was like the one thing we had in common. So I decided I'll be really good at swimming, and I'll be really good at school. So if I'm good at those two things, dad must come back, and dad will love me. And He'll be proud of me, and it, I'll win his love back. Um, so through that, I became an excellent swimmer. I had Olympic trials my junior and senior year of high school, and I was recruited to swim at the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. So really smart, really good at swimming. And unfortunately, that school is about 80% men and 20% women. And knowing me and that I just attract abusive people and I attract people that... Um, because I was looking for love in all of the wrong places and didn't know the answer. I ended up, I mean, raped. I was passed around by men in the military. And so not that the military is wrong because I love all of my brothers serving, but this was just my experience. So passed around. I was the girl that the lacrosse team would just come in and do things to just because they could, because there aren't a lot of girls at the Air Force Academy. And you really can't fight back when they're six foot three, a lot bigger than you are. Um, so that really, I mean... When I say shame and guilt and fear, I had lost my voice. At that point, I felt like I couldn't say anything at all. And I lost who I was, and I lost anything that I thought I could relate to. So all I had left was swimming, and all I had left was school. And then after the Air Force, like, you get a job, and it's great, and your whole life is set out for you. And I met the most amazing man, and he proposed, and it was great. Um, and then t about, well, I guess it would be February 2008, I tore my rotator cuff at a swim meet, just kind of casually swimming something I don't normally swim. And what ended up happening is because you're at the Air Force Academy, they actually kick you out because you're medically disqualified. So I was kicked out of the Air Force Academy, and in a span of a month, I found out that my fiancé was sleeping with my best friend and got her pregnant. So I lost my fiancé. I lost swimming. I lost the school that I was going to. I lost... Um, my future, like future job. And then on top of that, I found out I was pregnant. And at that point, I was at probably one of the lowest points of my life and realized I'm actually not worthy to even carry a child. Why would I do this? The father's not going to be in his life. So I decided to have an abortion. So on top of all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the fear that I had already had, now I would walk around with, oh my gosh, I took someone else's life. I and I know there are some girls in here who have gone through this. It is hard because you know deep, deep, deep down you made a mistake and you made a righteous mistake and you know in your soul that you can never be forgiven. There's, no, there's nothing you can do to earn that back. There's no work you can do. There's no, um, 
something you can say that can earn that decision back, that can make up for a lot of those things. So after all of that, I, my mom took me back home and finished my degree in hospitality event planning, which was the complete opposite of my engineering degree because I wanted a whole new life. And I was recruited to join Teach for America. And here's the funny thing is I put like, when you go to Teach for America, they let you pick all the schools that you want to go to. And I'm like, I want Boston and I want New York or I want Rhode Island or like anywhere above the Mason-Dixon line and Sweet Tea and Honey. I wanted one of those places, not the South. <laughs> and uh, the amazing thing was is they put me in Nashville. And you don't really, I mean, that was on my like do not send list. And it was on my do not send list because my dad was there. So I really did not want to go to Nashville, did not want to see my dad especially after everything that I'd gone through. So my mom convinced me, hey, go to Nashville. It's only for two years. It'll be great. And I got to Nashville in May. I was about to turn 23. And when I got to Nashville, I, um, I started having medical problems, one after another after another. And by the end of the month of May, I was diagnosed with stage 3 ovarian cancer and just decided, well, what do you do when you have terminal cancer? And I had enough Catholic in me to know, like, okay, there's a heaven and there's a hell. And, like, looking at the laundry list of my life, I don't know where I'm going. Like, would Jesus really take me in? What's this heaven like? I don't know. And I would just wrestle, and I would wrestle, and I would cry at night, and I would say, Lord, please, if you're real, make yourself real, and nothing would happen. Lord, just, like, help wash away my sins or erase things from my past. And I was in denial. Like, I actually did all these bad things. But I was like, oh, I'm a good person. Like, I'm not Hitler. So, like, I didn't kill anyone, kind of. So I would wrestle with it. And I would say, I don't really know. Mm, I didn't know. But I would just see, I would see this laundry list. I would see, oh, my gosh, I've lied to my parents. Oh, my gosh, I had an abortion. Oh, my gosh, people molested me. Oh, my gosh, I was in this. Oh, my gosh, I can't get my life together. I'm hateful. I'm prideful. I'm bitter towards everything that has happened. I'm bitter at the process of getting kicked out. I'm bitter at all of these things that just weigh you down and you hold on to them and you wrestle with them in your soul. And in October of 2011, the doctors looked at me after my third, second round of chemo treatment. I was about to start my third. They said, you know what, Angela, you're probably not going to make it through 2012. You might make it to January, but it doesn't look promising. And I broke down. I had no other option. I was in that place where you sit there and you know that there's something bigger than just yourself. You know that in your heart there's a void, there's a hole, there's a gap, there's something. And I had tried to stuff it with all of these things and I tried to put it in there and like fill my little heart up with all of these kind of things that I thought would fill it up. And yet, nothing. So I sat in my room, broken, empty, desperate, still teaching high school. I was so mean as a high school teacher, I can't believe they let me teach. <laughs> I was bad. Um, and I, so I was in math class one day, and I had a high school student. She was a senior, and she stopped class. She's very bold, very outspoken. I taught in an inner city high school, so they kind of got personalities there. And she stopped the class, and she said, Miss Reuter, I don't like you. I really don't like you. I was like, this is going to be a great one and a half hour block. Like, awesome, we're starting this off. She said, but I would hate you if I didn't talk to you about Jesus. And like tears welled up in my eyes and I crumbled and I fell to my knees and I just started crying in the middle of like, let's see, I had 33 kids in the class. So 33 high school students, most of them guys. So they're like, why is Miss Ritter crying in the first place? Because apparently I have no emotions. So this is the first time they saw me cry. 
she looks at me and she shares the story with me about Jesus. She walks me through Romans 6.23, which says, for the wages of sin is death. And she just walks me through all of these things that you've done with your life is a wage. It's something that you have to pay for. So I'm over here and I got all of these wages and God is over there. And I, I know God's over there because I'm like, well, he's super far away and he doesn't care about me. And he's absent and he's just like my dad and not going to affirm me at all. And I think he's probably angry at me. So he's absent. And he's angry. He's not there. So God's over there and I know God's over there, but I'm over here. And I have dug myself a hole. I've dug myself a hole to the point of death. I'm still getting emotional about the story. Sorry if I cry, guys. And I dug myself a hole and dug myself a hole. And she said, yeah, but Miss Ruder, there's a, there's a bridge that gets you to that side. I said, no, there isn't. There's no way there's a bridge. Like, God is super holy and mighty and all of these things. She said, no, 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 no. The rest of the verse says, but. And I was like, oh, I like that word. That's a hopeful word. But the free gift of God the free gift, like something that was given to me just because I don't deserve it, but he was like, you know what, you're worth it enough. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So I'm standing on this mountain for the wages of my own sin is death, and she is walking me through Christ's burial, his resurrection, his walk, and all of a sudden I understand I can stand on this side. I can stand in right standing with the Lord, not because of anything that I did, but because of the free gift of God that had been given to me in Christ Jesus. So I said, yes, I want that, please. There's anything, I want anything that is better than what I'm currently in. So I said yes to the Lord. And I said yes, I said, Lord, whatever you have for me, I don't care if you tell me to give it up, I don't care if you tell me to walk away from relationships, I don't care if you move me to the other side of the world, which I love, that'd be great. Um, But just take me, take my heart, take me. You're gonna take me in two months anyway because I know I'm gonna die, so just whatever you wanna do in two months, just do it. And that moment of surrender and that moment of accepting that free gift changed the whole trajectory of my life. I started to change. I started getting in the Word. I started praying. I started seeing God start rooting out all of these hurts, all of these pains, all of these wounds, all of these places that went undiscovered in my own heart that I just kept in because I'm a stuffer. I don't really like to talk about things, so I'll just stuff it inside. And he started unstuffing and unstuffing. There was a lot of crying and a lot of tears. And then in January of 2012, I got thought my miracle was encountering Jesus, but then, because he's so gracious and so loving, I was miraculously healed January of 2012. I walked into the doctors. You can celebrate that. That's good. Sorry, it's so intense. It's a good thing, miraculously healed. I walk into Vanderbilt, and I'm like, they called me, and they're like, Miss Ruder, like, you need to come in, because your blood work is coming back weird, and your ultrasound, like, doesn't have any tumors on it, so we think we got you confused with the person after you. I'm like, huh? No, you didn't. God healed me. I had read enough of the Bible to know about the story of the bleeding woman. And I sat there and I went, wow, that's me. Like, I was the bleeding woman. My womb was doing this stuff. And like, it wasn't even really doing anything. And it was broken and there was stuff in it. And God healed it out of a step of faith of saying yes to the Lord. I was miraculously healed. And my whole life changed. One after another, student after student after student came to know the Lord because they would see the testimony because I didn't keep quiet about it. After you get healed from something or after God really changes your life, it's hard to just not tell anybody about it. So I'd smile and I'd be like, oh my gosh, guys, can you believe what God did in my life today? He woke me up early and I just wouldn't shut up about it. And one after another after another, I mean, I taught the kids in the gangs. I taught the kids in MS-13 who are amazing now believers. Like I taught those kids whose trajectories were to go the same way that mine were. One after another after another came to know the Lord. So this was spring semester, so by the end of the year, over 150 students gave their life to the Lord, and then on top of that, their families started coming to the Lord. 
because I wouldn't keep quiet, and I wouldn't stay still, and I would share everything that God has done in my life. No, no area of my heart is untouched by the Lord. There's no area of my life I won't talk about. Everything is out in the open. Everything is in the light because he's the light giver, and I have no shame when I walk into the light. So I can stand here today and share all of these really scandalous things. These are some of the things in my testimony are very hot topics, very scandalous, but yet the greatest scandal of all is the scandal of grace. And I would rather stand on the scandal of grace than stand on the, sca the scandal of my past. So what Ben asked me to share about is going with your testimony. They're starting a new sermon series about going, and one of the greatest things you can do is go with your testimony because your testimony is what unlocks people's hearts. You can sit there and have conversations with them, but when you start breaking down your own stuff and you start sharing the stuff that you've gone through, it is amazing how God will put someone right in front of you who's gone through the same thing. And what you do when you share your testimony is you're giving hope to a hopeless, a very hopeless world. They have no other options. I was so hopeless, I was desperate for another option, but I was too prideful to ask for the other option. So God, in his sovereignty, sent me a really bold high school student to humble me in front of a whole bunch of other high school students. Yeah, so any high school kids in here, y'all are important. You're world changers, yes. so you know. You will change the world, and you never know who you're going to reach when you share your story. But God reached me, and one of the first things that he shared with me was Isaiah 61, and I feel like this is a commissioning verse for a lot of people. And so it says in Isaiah 61, I chose the message. I don't know if they're going to put it up or not, but I chose the message version because I like pictorial language. The ESV is great. The NIV is great, but I like words that paint pictures to me. And so Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 7 says, the spirit of God, the master is on me. Angela, I like to put my name in where it says me. Because God has anointed Anointed is an action word, me. He sent, action word, me, to preach, action word, good news to the poor. Heal, that's three, now four, action words, the broken. Announce, proclaim, freedom to the captives. Pardon, all prisoners. Proclaim, freedom to the captives. Release from darkness. God has sent me to announce the year of grace. He's called me to comfort all who are mourning, Care for those needs who are, who are mourning or grieving in Zion. Give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes. Messages of joy instead of news or doom. A praising heart instead of one of despair. Rename them oaks of righteousness planted to God to display his glory. I'm going to rebuild old ruins, raise a new city out of wreckage. And we're going to start over on the ruined cities and we're going to take the rumble left behind and make it new. And we're going to renew the ruined cities. Those are all action words. You need a reason to go to action. It's kind of like you need a reason to go to war. You need a reason to go to action. Your testimony is your reason why you go to action. Your testimony is why you are sent to preach. Because like your finger, I think fingerprints are so cool, but like your fingerprints, your testimony is so uniquely made for you that only your fingerprints can reach a certain person. Only your testimony can reach a certain person. And God in his love and his grace is so amazing that he will put someone right in front of you and your story is going to speak to them in such a way it's going to change their life. We need to know that our testimony brings victory, our testimony brings hope, and it brings the kingdom of God wherever we go. But before you can do all of that, you need to understand that God's going to heal all those places. I don't want to miss the moment to say there are a lot of people in here who need healing in these areas. 
It takes a great understanding of God's love for you to heal all those places in your heart. Because there are things you don't want to talk about. There are things that I don't want to talk about. There are things when I start to get really embarrassed, like I get really red. I don't want to talk about it. But God loves me enough that he came in and he said, yeah, but Angela, I'm redefining that moment. He's our redeemer. So I'm not defined by rape. I'm not defined by molestation. I'm not defined by being a hussy. I'm not defined by um, an abortion. I'm not defined by performance. I'm not defined by perfection. I'm not, per I'm not defined by striving for love. I'm not defined by being a victim. I'm not defined by any of these things. The only thing I'm defined by is Christ. He is righteous in me, and I am defined by that. So I can stand here and share my story, and I can stand here and smile at all of the pain that I've walked through because Christ in me is greater than the world. Christ in me is greater than anything I went through. Yeah. And there's a moment that a lot of people are going to have where you're going to sit down with the Lord, and he's going to say, I want you to talk about this. And you're going to be like, no, I don't really want to talk about it. No, they're going to judge me. They're going to like think I'm weird, and then they're not going to. God put you in that moment to reach that person. And I like to see people as children of God. I think I love the next generation because they just have this innocence about them that they just hear something and they're like, yeah, let's go do it. Well, your city needs to, you need to see your city like that. Like the people in this room, as adult and as courageous as you are, God sees you as like four or five years old. And for every person who doesn't know the Lord, I see him loving them in such a way that he puts out an amber alert to every person. There is an urgency, there is a need, and there is a calling to say, that's my child. That one, that one's missing, and I want her back. I want her back right now. And he's going to send people. And he's going to send people. He's going to send people like you. He's going to send people like me. He's going to send people like your kids to go because they're children. And when you see this commission and you see that you're sent, you see that you're called to preach, you see that God is telling you to heal, he's telling you to announce, he's telling you to pardon, he's telling you to proclaim and release and send and announce and comfort, care, give, praise, rename, rebuild, raise. That's a lot of things that you can do when you have the confidence in Christ to go out and share your story. So with all of that, I like to share stories of like things that I get to do on the mission fields because I am a missionary. And I like... I, my heart is really for the donkeys. I love those people who nobody else really wants to love. I love the people who are so broken, so hurting, that they'll like, when you go to hug them, they'll stand like this, and then they'll be like, why are you hugging me? Don't talk to me. Or they won't say anything at all, and they'll like intentionally <laughs> remove themselves from situations. And every time I see that, I just think, God, they're hurting so much like I did. They're such a broken, hurting child of your kingdom, and they don't know it yet, and they're, I just sit there, and I'm like, wow, I was so desperate to hear the gospel. I was so desperate to hear that there was another, another way out. So are they, and God is giving you eyes to see that. He's giving you ears to hear that. You see those people, you see all the people like this, and then you're like, I don't really want to talk to you. You're weird. Go up to them. You have the kingdom of God inside of you. Stand up. Go see them. Go hug them. They need that love, and they're going to need it unconditionally, and it's going to hurt, and it might be messy, and it might break a couple rules or people's rules. But when you start loving those people into the kingdom of God, that's when revival starts happening. Yeah, that's good. And it's, I think as you start reflecting on your own story, because I think God is speaking to a lot of people right now of undiscovered areas of their own lives. 
he's going to send you to those people. The reason why you walk through stuff is so that you can go back and say, I'm going to set this captive free. Oh, I love, I love looking at girls who are wrestling with abortion and say, oh, I know where you're at. I know exactly where you're at. Don't cry with them. says that we're supposed to mourn and grieve with those who are mourning, and then we're supposed to praise them and bless them and give them a garment of praise. I love sitting in front of a 13-year-old girl who's pregnant. Her name is Julissa. I love sitting in front of her and saying, oh, it's so worth it to have this baby. I know, I know right now it doesn't seem worth it, but there is a king of kings and a lord of lords who divinely assigned this baby. And you're called to be her mother, and you're called to birth this baby, and I'm going to walk it out with you, and it's going to be messy, and it might not be convenient for me, and it might push me out of my comfort zone, but I am convinced that a lot of people had to get pushed out of their comfort zone to come and tell me the gospel. It's not easy to look at a teacher who's older than you and say, hey, I hate you. I would, I'm sorry, I don't like you, but I would hate you. That takes a lot of getting out of your comfort zone to do that. And so, while I'm on campus, and I know we have missionaries in here, we have first-time people, and I'm speaking a lot to our 10 days team this week, but also you guys as a, as a family unit here at Luminous, as you begin to really see Christ heal and redefine your story, you're going to start seeing your story in other people. You're going to start walking around, and you're going to see, oh, my gosh, she's, self, she's cutting. Like, you're going to see it. You're going to say, I don't know how she's cutting, but she's cutting. And I hope and my prayer is that you'll remember this story, and you'll say, that's a moment of compassion. That is a moment where God is saying, go to her and share your story. I don't care if it's an awkward conversation starter. God has uniquely anointed you with your fingerprints, with your DNA, to go to her and say, you don't have to cut anymore. Self-mutilation is not the answer. Depression is not the answer. Suicide is not the answer. There are people who are numb. There are people who have been so abused. There are people who are in anxiety and anger. They're grieving. And you're going to see it. And I want to challenge you to discover with the Lord, discover with Christ, the redemptive side of their story. It's amazing. And I'll never get tired of walking people through redemption. I will never get tired of seeing a girl who's so broken and so hurting and so full of hatred in a year with her walk with Christ transform into one of the most loving people in our church. That brings life to my soul because I know what it's like to be on the side of depression and anxiety and fear and condemnation. I know what it's like to go on the other side and say, oh, I have so much joy, I just laugh at random things. To see that process in other people is amazing. And that's the Isaiah 61 commission. That's why we go with our testimonies. That's why we go and share what God has done in our lives. And so, I wanted to give you kind of a story in the Bible where this happens. Um, one of my favorite stories is John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. And she was a Samaritan. And for people who don't read their Bible, like I mostly sometimes have a struggle with, I had to look this up. But the Samaritan culture and the Jewish culture, they really hated each other. Like flat out hated each other. They went to war. They didn't really want to worship Jesus, all of these things. And Jesus and his amazingness and loving kindness and just seeing children of God for who they really are took a moment, not like it just went to a woman, went to a woman who was in her own little pit. She had been with a lot of men, and she couldn't really figure it out. And knowing my story, because I was with a lot of men, I can kind of figure out everything else that was going on. I'm sure she might have been abused. I'm sure she was seeking for love in all the wrong places. 
We know people like this. And he stopped. He sat there in front of her. He's Jesus, so he is like the person. He is the resurrection. He is the person who can set her free. He's sitting there, and he's taking his time. He's smiling at her because he, he's always joyful. I don't see God as angry. He's joyful. He's like, yeah, I know you're in a pit. I know you got all these boyfriends. I know. Oh, but I can give you living water, and you'll never want to drink anything else again. And he shares the gospel with her. And he takes another moment, and it's like it's like she took her a moment to actually figure it out. Like, who am I really sitting in front of? It takes me a long time to figure things out sometimes. Who am I really sitting in front of? And it hits her, and I see her just looking into the eyes of Jesus as they're they're loving, and it like clicks. And you know when you see kids like get things get something for the first time, she's like, oh my gosh. And she encounters revelation, and she encounters the truth. And just like I did, when she encountered truth, she went back to the place that had rejected Christ. They rejected the Jews. They rejected all this. She went back to those people, the most broken of the broken, and went, y'all, y'all got to hear this story. I met this man, and he was at the well, and, like, he's not like any other man I ever met. He's, like, the redeemer, and, like, you got to come meet him. You got, And she started sharing what he did in her life because he healed her in that moment. Her identity was changed. So with her identity, her new identity in Christ, she went out, and the whole town got saved. It's pretty awesome. Because she had the confidence in Christ and the understanding of who he was in her soul, in her heart. He healed her. And he went, she goes, ha-ha, now i got to tell everybody. And I'm not going to keep quiet about it. Us women, we can't really keep quiet. got to tell everybody. got to tell everybody. And I want to challenge you that as her great pit and as my great pit, the greatest pits that you've been in your life will become your greatest wells of ministry if you let the Lord heal you. That's good. Once Christ defines that, your well, you'll just start pulling living water out of that. Time after time, I find myself drawing from the same well. I'm drawing from the well of abortion. I'm drawing from the well of rape. I'm drawing from the well of abuse. I'm drawing from the well of abandonment. I'm drawing from the well of bitterness. Because God, Jesus, came into my life healed all of those things, all of those things, and said, you know what? Now I'm going to send you out so you can send other people out. I'm going to send you to find all those captive people whose hearts are like this, and I'm going to say, ha, here's the key. You have the well. Go share the living water with them. Go tell them of the well to drink. Go be the Samaritan woman who changed her whole city. It says in that, in that chapter, don't you see that the harvest is now? Like, it's right now. I'm not saying it's 10 years from now. It's not even four months from now. It's right now. Don't you see it with your eyes? And as you see Christ redeem your life, for those of you who might have never had a moment with Christ redeeming your life, or those of us who are believers who we're still working out redemption, I'm still working out redemption. But as you see redemption in your life, redemption that can only be done through Christ, you're going to see your community transformed. You're going to see your life transformed. You're going to see this city transformed. Because what God is birthing in you is that compassion to go. And then he's going to send you. He's going to send you right back to Isaiah 61. Preach to the brokenhearted. Bind up the captives. Love on people. Share the good news. Anoint them. Bless them. Walk with them. He's going to send you to do all of those things. Because our testimonies infuse hope into a world that is hopeless. And it's kind of like at the Air Force Academy. They had us do this thing, like search and rescue. Like when you have to go find dead bodies and planes and stuff really great it's almost as fun as the gas chamber um <laughs> but we would have to take like this long magnet and we'd have to like drag it through the field it's really heavy i don't know how i did it 
and I would have to drag it through the field. And even though on the ground you don't see shrapnel, you don't see muck, you don't see these things, as you drag that magnet all the way through, it's really heavy, it starts getting heavier, it starts picking up all these shrapnels of metal. And it's the same thing with our testimonies. As you take your testimony out and you walk with your testimony of hope, what you're doing is you're picking up hopelessness. And you're picking up the people that God is telling you to pick up. And you're grabbing them and you're saying, you don't have to be shameful anymore. You don't have to grieve. You're not prisoned. You're not desperate. But I have hope. And I have hope and you can have hope because if God did it for me, he's going to do it for you. And I want to just say, sharing your testimony is a catalyst for revival. We need to know that we are all change agents. We all have the ability to change the culture that we're in. If you're a teacher, if you're a businessman, if you're um, just someone who likes to go out on the street and have a great time, a student, a mom, a stay-at-home mom, your presence alone, because you have Jesus inside of you, brings permission to change the culture. I don't even need to say anything, and people talk to me on the airplane. I don't need to say anything, and people will walk up into restaurants, and they'll say, hmm, there's something, like, light about you. Yeah, it's Jesus. Let's talk about it. There is something different about me, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm going to talk about it, because I love Jesus. But what they see in that moment is they don't see you. They see Christ in you, and Christ is drawing them to you. So take that moment. Take that extra five minutes or two hours and sit there and say, oh, my God, you were drawn to the lights, like, let me tell you about the light. Let me tell you about the one light. You're like a little mosquito right now, and like you're drawn to the light, and it's so great. Let me tell you about it. And then they're going to become a light, and they're going to see the same thing happen, and they're going to come back, and they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, I won't believe it happened. This random person stopped me at Starbucks and, like, totally gave his life to Jesus in line because I was a light. Yeah, you are. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So the final thing I just want to leave you with is that sharing your testimony has an eternal ripple effect. And I, it's funny how um, Ben, I don't know how Ben found out about my testimony, but it's amazing how when you share your testimony and you share what God has actually done in your life, it ripples out. I live in Nashville. I really never wanted to come to Texas ever. I love Texas now, but I didn't want to come originally. But somehow my testimony rippled out and someone heard about it. And they said, you know what, you need to come and talk about it. Okay, cool. But when you share your testimony, when you actually share what God has done in your life, there's a ripple effect that doesn't affect just the people around you, but it affects eternity. Someone's going to go take your story, because I have met people, and I'm like, man, I've never gone through a divorce. But I know someone who God totally redeemed their marriage, and I'm going to take someone else's testimony and totally plant it into that situation and say, but I know the God of hope, and he's done this, and I know people that he's done it to. And you're sharing that story, and what happens is there, there's an eternal value to that. Someone gets saved. Someone gets healed. Someone encounters Jesus for the first time. Someone who was contemplating abortion decides not to have it anymore because they heard one testimony of hope. Because when you have the courage to share and the boldness to share, God's going to send you to the hopeless. He's going to send you to the broken. And he's going to say, you're going to reap an eternity here. You're going to reap a harvest right here in front of that moment. So, can I just pray over you? So, Father, I just pray pray for two groups of people. The first one is the people who just are desiring that you would come in and heal those broken, broken places. Father, I pray that there would be courage right now to just be transparent in your own heart. And I ask, Lord, that you would just smile. That people would begin to feel the warmth of your smile and your love as a happy and